Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Psyche Podcast. How are you doing? Um, I'm good. I am good. I'm recording this on the 10th which is World Mental Health Day and if you're a regular listener you might know that I have a bit of a kind of love-hate relationship with Awareness Days. I think they are great for focusing our attention and for starting conversations and discussions about really important topics and, and experiences but I think the danger can be that we think right we've done it now <laughs> we've talked about the thing that's it we've kind of done it for the year and I've I've shared some fantastic resources from some organizations like Mind, Young Minds, the Mental Health Foundation on my social media but I guess I haven't really contributed much to the conversation uh, for this day specifically because it's something that I tend to be talking about a lot of the time anyway um, and keen to really have those conversations on a daily basis not just on awareness days but there have been some fantastic resources um, that people have been sharing and conversations. And, and one of the topics has been about um, one of the general topics of the, the day, because it's quite often a theme each year, has been about mental health access or access to mental health support services for everyone. And I think that is still, whether you're a UK listener, whether you're in the US or elsewhere, I still think it is um, a massive issue about getting access to support services and we tend to kind of uh, swing between talking about mental health and mental illness and mental well-being um, and mental well-being being that more general I guess preventative self-care type focus rather than specifically on the kind of what we think of when we say mental health which is often uh, about mental ill health or mental health disorders or conditions so I don't know where my point was going about that, <laughs> about that but I guess yeah I would just encourage you to uh, you know to to check in with the people around you to talk to your loved ones to see how they're doing I would encourage you to and this is one of those things that's often said <laughs> sounds so easy but I know from my own personal experience that it can be so so hard to do this but if you are struggling to try and reach out for support whether that is to friends family any kind of loved one or whether it is to someone like the Samaritans or Shout if you're in the UK um, if you're in the US the um, the National Prevention of Suicide Society helpline and, and I don't know much about the US one but I know with the Samaritans it isn't just for people who are feeling suicidal, it's for people who are in distress. Um, so if you are struggling, uh, you know, to sort of, to try and um, reach out if if you can, but I know that is often easier said than done. Um, but anyway, um, it was World Mental Health Day and actually today we're kind of going more the the kind of mental health end, if you like, of um, of the spectrum. And I'm really, really excited to share this episode with you because one of our our goals, one of our part of our mission, if you like, at Psy the Psyche Podcast, 
is about raising awareness it's about having these conversations and it's about challenging misconceptions and I think one of the mental health conditions that has the most stigma and misunderstanding and fear around it is schizophrenia and so I'm really really pleased to welcome today's guest Bill to the podcast and Bill really um he has been an advocate for for a long time around schizophrenia and he shares both the the kind of details of what schizophrenia actually is what the symptoms are as well as his personal experience so it is a fantastic combination of providing that information about schizophrenia but also some of that insight into the reality of schizophrenia although as he says towards the end this is really his experience and it it's not going to be the same for everyone that that um has schizophrenia it is his personal experience but i am really thankful that he that he joined me and that he so graciously shared his story with us so one note to add is that as well as discussing schizophrenia bill and i do discuss suicide so something for you to be aware of and to really check in with yourself to see if you are in the right headspace to listen to that conversation. With all that being said, we're going to dive into the episode and I will be back afterwards. Hi everyone and welcome back and I'm really, really happy to be joined by Bill today on the podcast. So Bill, welcome. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me, Hannah. Appreciate that. Sure. So basically my story is uh, way back in 1987, um, I was diagnosed with an illness known as schizophrenia. And um, the word schizophrenia actually means split from reality or out of reality. So that was in uh, 1987 and uh, I was hospitalized six different times. I lived in three different group homes. I had a suicide attempt and I spent five years on the couch basically doing nothing uh, in in a deep, deep, dark depression. And uh, I was like that for five years and it wasn't until uh, 1994 that I actually started to, uh, I started a publication called SZ Magazine, which was a magazine on schizophrenia and mental health. And basically I did that for 23 years and now I'm retired and I've written a book in 2014 and then my, my hobby now is still writing and then also I, I'm, I'm involved in my business kind of uh, uh, developing that further and everything like that. But I got to tell you, Hannah, uh, dealing with schizophrenia and what I've gone through was the hardest thing that I had to do in my life and uh, I was very uh, motivated person in that. But yeah. So if you have some questions on schizophrenia, I'd be very happy to answer you and give you the details of what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from my my personal perspective, I have a sort of academic understanding of, of schizophrenia and a, a little bit personal. Uh, so my uh, maternal grandmother um, was, we think, schizophrenic. She was never diagnosed officially, but definitely, you know, the kind of the lived experience of what it's like. But yeah, for the listeners, and I think schizophrenia is it's a a condition that I think is often misunderstood and there are so many misconceptions. So yeah, please tell us. 
Yeah. So basically what you mentioned, you mentioned in your family, Renan, and usually there's three legs to schizophrenia or mental illness in general is one, there's a genetic component, two, there's a biochemical component, and three, that there's a stressor component. And when those combinations hit, usually uh, schizophrenia appears. Now, so in saying that, it's just like anything else with the genetics. I mean, mental illness runs in families. Sometimes cancer runs in families. Diabetes runs in families. Uh, heart disease runs in families. So it's no different than that. But uh, with schizophrenia and mental illness, the reason why it's like different than physical illness, like a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's just another illness like diabetes or something where you can take medication and, and things like that. But you see, the nature of schizophrenia is that it plays with your mind because it, it, it takes you out of reality. And, uh, so, and, and what happens is uh, that with schizophrenia, you have what's known as positive and negative symptoms. And positive doesn't mean positive, that's good. Basically what that means is that positive symptoms are symptoms that are added to your personality that shouldn't be there. For example, if you're paranoid or you hear voices or you're delusional in a delusion, uh, you know, things like that, you, you have weird thoughts and everything like that. Those things shouldn't be there in a person, but they are with somebody with schizophrenia. So they're known as positive symptoms. As well as with schizophrenia, you can have what's known as negative or deficit symptoms. And what that means is that you, things that are, are that should be part of your personality are lacking. Like for example, you have a lack of joy, you have an emotional bluntness, a blandness to you. Uh, depression can set in. So these things that should be there normally, they're not, and so they're called negative symptoms. And mental illness ran in my family. My mom was bipolar, but way back then when I was a kid, it was just, you know, oh, mom's sick again, mom is sick again. And then we heard it diagnosed as manic depression. And now these days, manic depression is called bipolar, and you have bipolar one or bipolar two, and different things like that. And I should mention to you, uh, Hannah, with some of the statistics, is that they say one out of five people will be diagnosed with the mental illness. One out of five people are mentally ill, whether that be depression, uh, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, bipolar, depression. So these are the major the, the major illnesses. But again, I want to touch on them back about that physical and, and mental illness. And <clears throat> the thing is, is that schizophrenia or mental illness is not, you, I, I don't think you can really compare it to a physical illness. And this is why, is because if I fell down and I broke my arm and there's a bone sticking out of my arm and there's blood everywhere, my brain and my mind would say, Bill, you broke your arm, you have to go to the hospital and get that fixed, get it in a cast and everything like that. However, with mental illnesses, the brain doesn't know it's sick. And so if it doesn't know it's sick and think that it needs help, it's not going to get help. And that's why schizophrenia is known as a very, very cruel illness. And that's why um, mental illness is a cruel illness because people are sick, but they don't know they're sick. Now, fortunately, some people, uh, not all, but some people have insight into the illness uh, and they can kind of catch it. So I have very good insight into my illness and I'm very compliant with medication. I take medication. In my, in my point of view, 
uh, you have to have medication to get those positive symptoms away, get those positive symptoms gone, so you can get back into reality, and uh, and and that's 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 very important. But that's not the total story. Once you're back into reality, like I got back into reality, and you'd think I'd say, "Great, that's great, Bill. That's great. You're back into reality." But the point is, is that my reality sucked. I found out that I had lost my job, I had lost my financial security, I had lost my house, I had lost my relationships, uh, and I was just another one out of a hundred people statistically with this illness known as schizophrenia. So even though I was in in reality, basically my reality sucked. Mm. Yeah, I think um, the the uh, idea of insight that, that you gave there is very interesting because I think from my, my personal mental health background is depression and anxiety and honestly sorry children playing outside so sorry people can uh, someone's having a good day um you know I it took me a while to recognize that but with that I'm still in touch with reality and although it took me a while to kind of figure out that for myself I think with schizophrenia like you're saying is that being out of touch of reality so it's so hard to to sort of know that that something is happening that that isn't real because it's it's real to you it's it's your reality that's right and and that yeah absolutely hannah and that's the amazing thing with with mental illness is it is so real to us whether you're paranoid and you think somebody is spying on you or something like that and we truly believe that we're in hook line and sinker 100 percent into those delusions and they get cemented and what happens all the time i'm kind of you know i i i am saying this is a coincidence coincidences that happen in your life that back up your paranoia and things like that personally i don't believe in coincidences but it's the only way i can explain what things happen like so so, so for example say i went to a relatively new friend's house and they'd say well bill what, what kind of music do you like and i might say well i like olivia newton john and neil diamond and and that and uh, it's a really they'd open up their record album and pull, pull out a record of of uh neil diamond or something like that right and you're thinking how does this person know how did this person kind of have the same album that i i mentioned right and then i'll leave the apartment go downstairs get into my car and turn on uh, uh, the radio and what's playing but a olivia and john set and and when we're very sensitive when the mind sensitive these coincidences happen up all the time and it backs up our paranoia and and uh you know so it's, it's very very difficult that way mm. yeah so i wanted to you've done an amazing job of, of explaining schizophrenia and uh, the way you describe positive and negative is uh, what i've taught psychology in exactly the same way i sort of teach it to students um but i wonder if uh, if you're comfortable to do so if uh, you could talk a little bit about what your schizophrenia looks like because i think with mental health sure. mental illnesses they look very different for different people yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah so my story starts so basically you know i knew uh my mom was bipolar and and a mental illness friend in the family but i never thought that i would become mentally ill or, or anything like that and remember i told you that there's the stressors there's the the uh uh the stressor a biochemical and genetic and so what happened when i was uh when i was uh 24 uh, I, I got a girl pregnant and uh, I was ashamed of that and I, I suppressed that. I didn't tell anybody and I suppressed it, but I was looking for forgiveness, right? And so I started to dive into theology and I would get a Bible and I'd start reading the Bible and then certain things started to change. For example, 
my sleeping patterns fell off and I would call in sick to work. I wouldn't show up for shifts. And um, basically what happened is that the words on the paper that I was reading in the Bible, they'd actually lift off the page and float off and expand and contract. And as well, just the same as in my barnwood, in my bedroom, the barnwood that it was decorated with, I would look and I'd see these knots and then I'd actually see these faces that would expand and contract. Now, those things that I was having are called illusions. They're illusions because something is there, but it's changing. It's just like, I don't know if the audience has uh, uh, ever seen the movie A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, uh, played John Nash. Well, remember when John Nash was in the Pentagon and he was looking at all these code, all these numbers and everything, and it became very bold and it kind of floated off the page to him. That's exactly what was happening with me. And then actually then what happened is that, uh, um, you know, I, I started driving erratically. My delusions, I thought that I was a, a prophet or Jesus Christ or something like that. And, and uh, so to make a long story, a long story short, um, I was picked up by the police basically naked on the street. And, uh, you know, I, I actually... Uh, I looked up at a street light and I said, you know what, uh, beam me up, Scotty, you know, but uh, Scotty, he didn't beam me up, but uh, he called the police and uh, the police came and, put, and that was my first, uh, uh, so I was very delusional, very psychotic and, and this, this happened over, very quickly over a six month period of time. And I got to tell you that with schizophrenia, you can have what's known as um, slow onset or acute onset. And the slow onset is basically where, say uh, you, 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 you have parents and you're in the basement and you're not doing much and, and, and your parents may think that it's a phase you're going through, or maybe you're experimenting with drugs or something like that, but they're very isolated and sleeping all the time. So somebody could have mental illness, could have schizophrenia, and, and it's a very slow onset, goes over for a long period of time. But in my case, mine was acute because I was working. I, I had uh, I, socially, I was fine, everything like that. But within six months' time, through my psychosis, everything went to a very quick and an acute phase. And they say that people who go to acute phases that they tend to do better with the illness than people who have an, a slow onset. Plus, in my uh, in my journey, uh, what was very important was that um, uh, I, I was hit with this illness at the age of 24. So I had social skills, I had a job, I had a career that I could get back to, that, that I once I did, I had a good work ethic and everything like that. But where it's hard is when people get diagnosed when they're 14, 15, 16, and they don't have that time you know, to have their first jobs, to have their first relationships and everything like that. And that is a very big part of recovery is, is, is getting that back. And so a lot of times uh, that's the case. And, and they say as well that sometimes women tend to do better than men with schizophrenia because usually women get hit a little bit later and they may have their, you know, their social skills, their education behind them and something like that. So, but in every case, like schizophrenia is never, no mental illness is ever the same for everybody. Everybody is unique and, and it has different dynamics mm -hmm. to it. But those same things of positive and negative symptoms.
are very common, but you don't always have all of them. Some people can have a combination of, of, of all those. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about once you received your diagnosis, that kind of process from there to where you are now. Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> like I said, so when when I uh, when I I got when I was uh, dealing with my my illness, um, I got in you know I got into reality pretty fast with the medication that I was taking. But I was dealing with a depression then, uh, whether it be a situational depression or because, you know, I, I didn't have a job to go back to or anything. And I thought my life, my life was going to be over. I thought that, you know, the, and, and I, I, my life was just terrible. I mean, it was hopeless. And uh, I can remember saying to my parents, you know, everybody's coping. How do people cope? Because I can't cope. And and uh it was just crowds being in crowds you think oh there's you know there's seven billion people in this world and and everybody's coping and i can't cope why can't i cope and everything like that so it was very bad so i was always seeking i was always seeking trying to better myself or do something but i was really really stuck and in those five years of depression that's where my suicide attempt came in i, I tried to od on, on on drugs because uh I, I hated life. It was just everything was hopeless and black and dark and no hope and all that. So then, but what happened, my turning point came. Here's where my turning point came is that I remembered what, a, because when you're on the couch and you're thinking, you're thinking, oh, if only my parents had a different job or a different education, or if only I would have did this in school, if only I was smarter, I wouldn't be in this situation, right? It's all you're thinking backwards. But I remembered what a grade seven teacher said to me. She said, Bill, if you don't learn how to write properly in life, you'll never amount to anything. And what she meant about writing was my penmanship skills. I had very, very poor penmanship skills. So I said, I said to myself, I said, I'm going to prove something to somebody. I'm going to, I'm going to prove something that somebody that I can do something. So I phoned the 40 Literacy Foundation and I I talked to him and I said, listen, I know how to read and I know how to write and that, but I just want to improve my penmanship. Can you send someone over? So Martha, Martha Mason was a volunteer at the Literacy Foundation. And she was also the big, uh, the, the uh, chairperson for the Scouts, Cubs and Beavers. And she was also going to Niagara College for social work. And she was also the executive director for the Big Brothers and Big Sisters. So Martha would come over and we'd start doing these penmanship exercises. And before too long, Martha basically was learning more about schizophrenia from me than I was penmanship from her. But Martha took an interest in me and, and the tour was too, like I wasn't doing very much at all in my understatement. And at the time I wasn't keeping up my hygiene because that's part of the negative symptoms, your hygiene suffers. And so, it would be like, oh my God, Martha's coming tonight to do these penmanship exercises. That means I gotta wash my hair and brush my teeth and shave, all these things are difficult. So Martha would come over and then one day she says, you know, Bill, she says, I know you're not doing much, which was an understatement, but she said, I go to the college, why don't you take to a course at the college and I'll drive you because my license was suspended at the time because I was driving erratically. And uh, I said, take a course at the college. I said, oh my God. I said, that means I got to wash my hair and brush my teeth and shave all these things. But I signed up for a, a photography course and Martha would drive me. And I went through the motions. I did 
darkroom stuff. I bought a camera. I did the field trips and everything. I still had that lack of joy and, and that motivation or whatever, but I just kept going. I still get, get going. And then the next thing I know that Martha's on the phone and Martha says, Bill, she says, um, I'm the seventh chairperson of the 40 Scouts, Beavers and Cubs, and we need a treasurer. How would you like to be our treasurer? And I thought, oh my God, treasurer, that means I got to wash my hair and brush my teeth and shake these things that are difficult to do with negative symptoms. But I said, okay, Martha, I'll come to your meeting. Well, that was a turning point because I went to that meeting and I met Martha's husband. I met her children. I met Peter, who eventually I started to help, uh, that he helped out. I helped out with Apple Day and Cub Car and campouts and that. I started playing squash with Peter and and, and uh, racquetball. And I started helping out with campouts. And really, that was my turning point because it gave me people who accepted me for who I was and not what I had. And that was a very great turning point. And then, so basically, now that I have friends, all my friends seem to be working, and I'm thinking that's the next step, but that's a big step, and it's a hard step. And uh, so I did a variety of things, trying to do a variety of things to get back into the thing. And so basically, to make a long story short, is that I was at the library one day where town councils were, were meeting, and I, I knew I needed to, to get my agenda full and do things socially, right? So the meetings were held at the library, but I, I can remember seeing this book, and it was called 101 Ways How to Start a Business with Little or No Capital. And I said, that's me. I have no capital, which is money. <laughs> and uh, But there is a scenario in the book where this woman, before VCRs were invented, she watched three television stations, and she watched the soap operas, and she ended up doing a newsletter on the soap operas and selling it to her working friends. And a light bulb came on, and I said, you know what? I probably can't do a newsletter on, on, on the soap operas, but I could probably do something on schizophrenia. And from that point on, it was almost as a light bulb went on. And then I took some uh, courses at the college, how to start a small biz business and some entrepreneur courses. And then so basically after 1994, I incorporated and for the next 23 years, I published that magazine and I spoke across North America and internationally at conferences and published that magazine and, and different things like that. So, yeah, so that, that, that's, uh, and I wrote the book, To Cry a Dry Tear, Bill, McPhee, Bill McPhee's Journey of Hope and Recovery with Schizophrenia. And they can, and if you're interested in that book, you can go to my website and learn more at billmcphee.ca or it's on Amazon as well. So. Yeah. Awesome. I think what really strikes me from uh, from your story is that that kind of gradual process. And I think sometimes in life we want to get like right to the end goal and back to to whatever. And and it and it seems like it was just you know what's the next step? Like these gradual steps to get used to it and things that um, you'd obviously built that that relationship with Martha and and had that trust there and then she was sort of gently pushing you and you know you yes. sort of wanted to do the things she suggested so you dealt with her having to have the shower and and uh, um, and all of that and then that gradually having that consistency and that social contact and like you said people who accept you kind of helped your world I guess expand a little bit because I sort of think with mental health it very much is very isolated isn't it and you feel like you said that no one understands how can everyone cope and it's very inward and it feels like it just 
you know gradually expanded for you to uh, absolutely Hannah I mean I, I can't stress though enough like you know when I was going through that five-year depression of doing nothing just pacing around my parents house every day and everything the the the, the how long it seems for five years like I know that when I was writing the book um, I had a, a co-author uh, John Moat and I was saying John here we got to make this five-year depression. Like, it's easy to say I was on the couch for five years, but I said, I really want people to understand the length of five years and how boring it is for five years and that is. And and it's true. Uh, it really is true. But uh, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, Hannah, I'll tell you, I truly believe that Martha was my turning point. And I truly believe that, that the, the secret to recovery the secret to recovery is having a social network, having your calendar, and listing different things on your calendar to look forward to, whether you're involved in a church group, whether you're involved in whatever you're involved in the community, to put that on your calendar, to have something to look forward to. And you don't have to go to everything. You don't have to go to everything, but need the option. There's an option there. Oh, I'm looking at, oh, I see tomorrow there's a carnival in town. Maybe I'll go take a walk and and the, the the secret of recovery is having a full agenda and being able to keep yourself busy and having friends and events to go to and everything else after that will fall into place and the thing is is you can still do those things you can still be paranoid if you can deal with it or you can still be delusional you can still be having these negative symptoms and still do those things and uh, and so that's that's very important in recovery as well in recovery what's very important too i believe is um social skills uh, a lot of times people who are hit early at you know 14 15 16 they haven't developed 100 percent their social skills and it's very important uh, to 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 do so, social skills like say for example one of the things that I tell people is that for example if you are an event right um, it's it's hard to talk to people right it's hard to create conversations so I tell people well if you're just in a crowd and you pick out somebody and I say pretend you're a, a talk show host and you're interviewing somebody you know and and try to find and try to be genuinely interested in that other person. And that way you can start a kind of start a conversation. I mean, it's not, it sounds simple, but through practice and understanding that concept, you can gain a lot of friends and, and be social. And it doesn't mean that you have to tell them your story and tell them that you're mentally ill, all of this. You can do that on a gradual basis. But the basic social skills is so important because, like you said, isolation and people who are together and isolated by themselves. Um, it's not it's it's not easy to be alone and isolation is a terrible place you know and it's uh there's over seven billion people in this world and yet there's so many people who are so lonely you know mm. yeah absolutely it's so true and i wonder um you know thanks for sharing about about that process and i wonder whether you could um talk a little bit about recovery now and sort of where you're at now and i know you said you're very compliant with with taking your meds but sort of what's uh what it looks like now if you have any symptoms still even with your with your meds or whether sure. to um whether it's almost like it's not there because the meds are controlling it if you like just yeah sure um so basically my life uh today is very good um i was uh i was uh 
uh, married for 19 years. Uh, however, uh, my wife and I, uh, we were divorced. Um, but we're amicable. I mean, she comes over, she's a kid, she cooks all the time, she cuts my hair, what little hair I have. And so it's very, you know, there's always two sides to the story, right? But I have three children, and uh, my one son is, uh, well, with my story about getting the girl pregnant, remember? So that's William. He's, he's 34 now, and William uh, lives in Halifax, and he, um, is a uh, an operations manager for a company called Concentrix. They're a call center, and then I have uh, Dwight, uh, who I had with uh, Aileen, uh, um, my wife, for 19 years. Uh, Dwight's 18, and uh, he's in school. He graduated this this year, 2020, and uh, he's he's has a summer job putting up pools. And uh, my daughter Hannah, she'll be 16 in November, and she's going into grade 11. And she's very academic. She wants to go uh, into nursing, and she's uh, bilingual. She has she went to uh, bilingual school and everything like that. So she wants to take nursing in French. And uh, so where I am today as well, um, I do get an injection. I've been uh, uh, for over 30 years getting an injection of Fluonaxel that keeps me uh, uh, in reality. And I get that every four weeks. And some of the side effects is that when I get that injection, about three days later, I have to lie down on the couch kind of thing. I, I'm a little bit tired. Um, my life now, uh, what I do is I'm very active in with my website and selling my book. And I'm in the process of uh, uh, creating uh, Zoom pages and then counseling sessions for people uh, with mental illness and their parents. Um, I, I do a broadcast. I, I, broad, I have a Facebook group called Helping Parents of Mentally Ill Children. And uh, I do a live broadcast every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I usually have guests on or, or just talk about a subject myself. Um, so my life, I'm very active. Uh, I'm active in my church. Uh, now that COVID, we're dealing with COVID, that, you know, we're not as active as we used to be. I'm doing some Zoom groups to make up for that. Uh, but uh, no, I consider myself retired, but I, uh, I I still write and I still do my blog and I'm still very active in, in mental health advocacy. Um, I live here uh, on the shore of Lake Erie, uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, so I'm right at the mouth of Lake Erie and it goes through the Niagara River and it goes over Niagara Falls. So 20 miles from where I live is Niagara Falls and I live in Canada. But my skyline that I can see, I can see the skyline of uh, Buffalo, New York from my window. So that's a little bit about me. And, you know, I'm enjoying my kids at home. I'm kind of scared that when they get a little bit older uh, and, are, and I'm an empty nester kind of thing, I'm kind of a little bit scared about that because I'm kind of a people person and I like having my kids at home. I know that a lot of times people think, you know, they can't wait till their kids are out of the house, but... I love my kids. Uh, they could stay here uh, forever if they wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I consider that I have a very high quality of life. Um, physically, I don't take care of myself that way, you know, uh, physically. Uh, but mentally, I'm good. And, uh, you know, I enjoy life. And actually, I'm, I'm my, one of my writing projects, I'm just in the process of writing a second book. And that book is called Over the Edge and Back. And what that is about is about people who have had suicide attempts, but who are enjoying their life today. And I'm also uh, uh, making it a little bit of an international cultural book, uh, talking about the different cultures of suicide within the West, the uh, Middle East, and the Far East.
Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And and I guess you were the same before about that having things in your schedule to look forward to. And so it sounds like you've got a very full life in in that way. And that's having having that support. And um, I think the the work that you're doing around you know the support around mental health and suicide as well. I think it's another thing that is really difficult for a lot of people to talk about, yeah. to understand. And um, so I think that yeah. Yes. Really important. I think, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that suicide is is very real thing and it's very popular. Uh, not like not popular, but people are getting to know it more and everything like that. And uh, it's very hard. And I think that, I think that if people, there's a couple of things that I just want to say is that I think that it's important for people's mental health. And what I try to do is I try to live a stress-free life to at least manage stress at a low point and also a simple life and i think that can take care of a lot of mental anguish if you if you try to keep control your stress levels and if you can live a simple life so that that's important and um just again socializing is 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 important um but i think we need to address life and think about life as sometimes as being a problem and we have to become a problem solver and i think that with suicide we're at the point where we think that there's no other way there's absolutely no other way this is the only solution is to end my life but i gotta tell you that that's not the solution and 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 just like in every other thing like maybe you're dry on ideas or you're you can't find but it's very important i think that if we take the attitude i always tell my kids you know what you can look at problems, but focus your time and energy on the solutions. Because I'm a firm believer that most problems have solutions. Yeah, I think like you're saying, if you're if you're really fixated on what's wrong and thinking about that, it kind of blocks out that capacity to think of, of ways of getting through it and, and the solutions and by shifting that focus. Yes, yes. And yeah, and and, and, and I just want to say about, you know, suicide. A lot of times people think all oh, the people are who have committed suicide, they're selfish or one thinking of others and everything like that. And I gotta tell you, you know what, the, the truth is, is that when somebody has suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts or who are gonna commit suicide, they're in a battle. They're in a battle, no less of a battle that a soldier is on the front line of war. And they, they're facing their enemy and they're shooting at their enemy and they're trying to kill their enemy all this kind of things. And that's the same battle that somebody who's contemplating suicide, they're going through a battle and a true anguish and distraught, very painful situation. And sometimes in a war on the front line, some people don't come home. And just like with suicide, some people succumb to it and don't come home. But it is not a selfish thing because we are in so much anguish and pain and it's no less of a battle than a person on the front lines in a war. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Because I think it's something that there are so many, so many things that, that people, when they do talk about suicide, will say and, and the beliefs. And I think that's what that's one of them that you said about this idea of being selfish. So thank you for um, for your thoughts on that. I have some set questions I ask everyone, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on these, if that's okay. Sure. Perfect. Sounds good. So... My first one that I ask everyone that comes on 
is what brings you joy in your life? Mm, yeah, um, what brings me joy? I think my, my children bring me joy. Uh, my friendships uh, bring me joy. I have really great friends. We can laugh. And I think humor. Uh, I have a very good sense of humor. At least people tell me that. It might be a little bit different, but I have a good sense of humor. And, you know, I've even done some stand-up in the past, you know, writing some jokes and different things like that. And, uh, you know, like I, and I got to tell you, my psychiatrist is the worst psychiatrist going. You know what? He's so bad because he makes me bring my own couch to the sessions. <laughs> But you know what? But no, I find joy, I find joy in my dog, taking my dog out for, for a walk and, uh, uh, you know, just sitting out on nice days and relaxing and, you know, in front of a computer. Um, I'm probably a little bit, even though I'm retired, I'm probably a little bit of a workaholic. So I do, I do, I, I am online a lot uh, with the computer, but I find joy in that. I find joy in my faith. I'm a Christian and uh, my relationship with the Lord is very tight and, and good, and I find joy in that. Yeah, and uh, I, I find joy in, in keeping my life simple. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, my next one, I always find this interesting because sometimes there's crossover with the last question. Sometimes there isn't, and so I always find this really interesting. And that is, uh, what makes life meaningful for you? Yeah, I think, you know what, uh, I think that uh, what makes life meaning for me, meaningful for me, is setting goals and working towards those goals and whether those goals come to pass or not it's just uh, being able to work toward those goals and i'm a kind of person that's always thinking my mind's always thinking and we'll see something and that and uh, it doesn't mean that when you set goals that that they're not even that they're gonna uh materialize or not but at least giving you something to do at the present time and, and to move forward that way. So that, that's, in, that's important to me is uh, setting goals and, and doing a little, but you know what, but I don't really put time frame on goals. I'm always working toward my goals, but I'm fairly easy going. And uh, part of my, my philosophy is I'm almost like a, a Christian philosopher. And I believe in predestination. And I, I truly believe that what, what plan God has for our life we're going to accomplish whether we know we're going to accomplish it or not kind of thing. And, and I try not to put too much stress on myself. Mm. I wonder, and, and feel free to not answer this if you, if you don't want to, um, but I wonder how with, with that view of life and things being uh, predetermined and having that, uh, God having that plan for you, how you reconcile that with your experience of schizophrenia and, and how you see that as part of your purpose. Sure. Sure. So, so I've been I've been living with schizophrenia for over thirty years, and at one time I thought it was a, a death sentence. Uh, however, um, I don't mind being open. I'm very open. I'm uh, I'm I'm a mental health advocate. I stand up for people with mental illness and and and, and try to understand it. One of the gifts that I have, I believe that people have have gifts. Uh, gifts and talents that no other people have and they're very you know we're given gifts and talent at certain measures and one of my gifts i believe is that i'm able to take complicated things situations and subjects and make them simple for people that's one of my gifts and i, I find joy in that and uh, you know i just think that uh, you know being, being uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia for over 30 years and what i've done in in my life i, I can say that uh, 
I, I've, I've had a purpose and I haven't wasted my life and my life hasn't been a waste. And uh, so, no. So I feel good uh, about I feel good about my spiritual life and I feel good about my my relationships and I feel good about where I am now. So, no, I'm just uh, very, very, very fine. Um, but I, I am. I know that uh, I believe in eternity and I still uh, look forward to uh, being with my Lord when uh, when I pass away. But I have no fear of that at all. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you for, for sharing that. So uh, my next question. So obviously we, we've talked a lot about mental health um, within this and and we talk about mental health on the podcast, but we also talk about when mental wellness, which is something that I like to talk about. And so yes. I have two questions around this for you. The first is what does mental wellness mean to you? Yeah, I think mental wellness for everybody can be this, is when you wouldn't want to be anybody other than who you are today, you can consider yourself mentally well. Because I remember when I was going through my illness and my five years of depression and everything like that, I wished that I was anybody in the whole world except for me. I didn't want to be me. However, today I can honestly say that I wouldn't want to be anybody else other than who I am today and to be. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. And so my, my follow-on question I ask people is how you look after your own mental well-being. So how you stay mentally well. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I'm very, uh, I'm very proactive with, I take getting my medication very seriously. I get an injection of 40 milligrams of uh, fluinaxel every four weeks. And I take uh, benzotropine cogentin for the side effects of that. So that's, that's, uh, that's one thing that that's very important, my meds. The other thing is that uh, I'll try, I try to get good sleep. Uh, it's very important. Sleeping with mental health issues is very important. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes uh, I don't sleep very well because it's just my nature. I get ideas running through my mind and I get excited about an idea. And I can say if I'm excited about an idea, well, I'm not sleeping tonight kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's important is, uh, is so my mental health is, is sleeping, but I try to do good, good sleep. Another thing is that my time management is very good. I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule and in my calendar. So that's very important is, is to be flexible. Um, I think a way of having my mental health, what's good about my mental health is that I have, I have friends, but I have a couple really, really close friends that I can almost tell, tell anything to, you know? And uh, I mean, you know, our, our concept of friends today uh, is like on on social media where you have uh, you know 500 Facebook friends, but are they really your friend? You can you know how you can test if somebody's your friend or not. Ask them if they'll lend you fifty dollars for the for the day or something like that. And you'll 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 that's how you tell your true friends is if they'll give you fifty dollars if you ask for it. Just thinking of all my Facebook <laughs> friends and <laughs> um, I probably won't. Um, <laughs> Uh, so my next question another thing we talk about a lot on the podcast is mindset and i wonder if you could describe your own mindset yeah so i i touched on a base mindset is that um there's always a solution look for the solutions to the problems so that's a mindset i find myself to be a uh, optimist um the glass is always half full 
Um, I really like, enjoy listening to some motivational speakers or people on leadership or, or things like that. And uh, so that's important. Um, yeah, so I, I think the mindset is that uh, things, things will get better. And uh, for, for me, I'm always thinking about the future, even though the present, even though the present is good, we're always thinking about the future, right? And then how either could be better or how can we get to that point? A couple of things I also want to say is the mindset around motivation. A lot of times people are asking, well, how, what motivates you? Or how do you get motivated? Or, you know, how can I start this exercise program and get motivated? And I want to tell you, Hannah, is that motivation is a myth. There's no such thing as motivation. All there is, is discipline and habit. Discipline, discipline and habit. So if you want to ride, go on your treadmill every morning at 7 o'clock, it has nothing to do with, with motivation. It has to do with discipline, getting up in time, and, uh, uh, and doing it. You know, that discipline and habit. And uh, once it becomes a habit and discipline, they kick in. But, but there is no such thing as motivation. Mm. Yeah, I think sometimes, I mean, the exercise example, we sort of maybe say we're going to do something, we want to do something, but really we don't want to do it. And so that discipline isn't there because we just don't really want to do it. And so we say, I don't yeah, have motivation. Exactly, but yeah, yeah, it's that lack of discipline because it's something we're really just not really on board with. We're just sort of telling ourselves we want to do it. And then, yeah, much harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and it's funny, you know, you know, uh, you know Nike's saying, right? You, you just do it. Well, I have a better one. I could have been on that. You think, how can you improve on that slogan? How could you ever improve on that? But I did. You know how I improved on that? Instead of just saying, just do it, you got to say, just do it now. Just do it now. If you're a procrastinator, every time you think you want to do something, say, I'm just going to do it now. And that will, that will battle. You'll have battles. You won't always win. But that's what you got to say to mm. procrastination is just do it now. Yeah, because I guess sometimes we put stuff off and then it becomes this massive thing in our heads because we're just thinking about how awful it will be. And sometimes yeah. it's not that bad. We're just bigging it up. Yeah, uh, I guess that fits quite nicely yeah, yeah. into our next question because you've already given people a really practical tip of something they can try. And, and so my next question is that I always ask guests to leave the listeners with between one and three tips of things that they can try out in their life that are going to have a, a massive impact. Uh, so... Again, you've already given mm -hmm. us some great tips, but do you have one to three things that people could try? Uh, you could throw in some that are schizophrenia specific if you'd like, or just general, just general tips. Sure. Um, I think that uh, for for people with with mental illness, um, I, yeah, this is what I I want to want to say. I want to give you some understanding of a couple things. Uh, yeah, I want to give you a couple understanding of a couple things. The reason that that and we have a big homeless problem uh, are, you, are you from the uk or yes, yeah yes. so you're from the uk and i don't know how your homeless situation is in uk but we have it a lot here in in north america as well and the reason and a lot of those people who are homeless are are mentally ill people but it's of no fault of their parents i mean i, I because i'm sure that no parents would ever want their children to be would want their children to be homeless but where the problem comes in with mental illness and then nobody's to blame, it's just the way it is, is that a lot of times the parents 
have no other choice but to let their children go and, and lead their own lives. And the reason for that is that when you're dealing with mental illness, people who are mentally ill a lot of times are illogical. They're out of logic. They're not logic. Where people who are sane or in reality think logically, that we have no other choice to think logically. That's what we do. That's probably the definition of being sane is to be logical. And unfortunately, with mental illness, is that logic and illogic, or logic and non-logic, do not mix. And that's a cruelty, and that's why mental illness is such a hard problem that way. So saying that is important. I think that that's important. As well, not to be so hard on yourself if you have a mental illness, because we truly are dealing with something that, uh, you know, it's, some people say it's, it's the worst hit, worst illness mankind knows and uh, because 50 10 percent of people with this illness will try to commit suicide and actually 10 percent exceed if you want to call that uh, success so there's that and um let's see anything else that's really important no again i i can't stress enough yeah well you know what here's the, here's the problem what, what happens is a lot of times people with mental illness we get stuck we're stuck you know, and even that, you know, when you're younger, when you're in kids and everything like that, at school, people would kind of joke to you that say, oh, go get a life, you know, get a life, get a life. But that's exactly what a lot of people with mental illness need is that we need to get unstuck and we need to find a life. We need to find a life. And, and, and that's, and a lot of people don't have a, a life. And I'm just very thankful that I have a good quality of life. And it wasn't always that way, but uh, the, the good Lord, uh, he's brought me through that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking then that for, for anyone who's listening, who doesn't have a mental illness or they're in a place where they're in, in a good uh, mentally healthy space, um, and when you were talking earlier about uh, with Martha and, and that group of people that you felt accepted as you are, I guess the thing for the rest of us is to try and have compassion and understanding for people who are mentally ill to accept them as they are so that they have that support. Hannah, I got to tell you, uh, in, in our house, uh, we talk, I, I talk about a couple things. And one of them is that um, whenever one of my kids start complaining or something like that, we'll say, well, you know what? That's, that's a first world problem. That's a first world problem. And the other thing that I've always said, and I believe 100%, which is true, is that I mentioned that there's over 7 billion people in this world. But you know what? Our shoes are the only shoes that we've ever walked in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always talk about not judging. We can never judge a person because we've never walked in their shoes. And I think that if we had the opportunity to walk in so many different people's shoes, we, we would really uh, come out with some compassion and, and uh, understanding. Yeah I, yeah, I love that. And, and it's interesting because that's something that, that I say as well, that I can only know my own experience. So even someone who on paper looks like they're very similar to me i don't know their experience because they're not they're not me and and i wonder sometimes whether there's something about having been through a mental health experience that makes you maybe a bit more understanding of the differences of experience oh absolutely 
Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. So my very last question for you, and I know uh, you mentioned before about about your books and about your website, but just where people can find you. So if they want to grab those um, and check out your website, if you can remind us of the links and if you're on any social media. Yeah, sure. So go to uh, my webpage, which is uh, BillMcPhee.ca, and McPhee is M-A-C-P-H-E-E. So BillMcPhee.ca, and uh, I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, at, uh, at uh, BillMcPhee62, uh, and uh, I have my Facebook group, um, Helping Parents of Mentally Ill Children. So you can just type that in Facebook; it will take you to my group. And I also do that live broadcast every Sunday night. Uh, uh, at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, and uh, and also uh, people, if they want to find me on YouTube, just type my name into YouTube because I have over 400 uh, teaching videos on my YouTube channel uh, on recovery, uh, so you can uh, check that resource out. And uh, and again, my book, if you want to buy it on Amazon or my website, is called "To Cry a Dry Tear." Bill McPhee's journey of hope and recovery with schizophrenia. Amazing, thank you, and. We can absolutely put links in the show notes for for all of that for people. Thank okay. you so much, Bill. I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing uh, so much uh, information about schizophrenia and so much of your personal story with us as well. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. So thanks again to Bill for, for sharing us and I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, just before I move on to some exciting news, if you are wanting to find out more information about schizophrenia, uh, I always recommend the MIND website. It has so much information about different mental health conditions um, from the signs, the symptoms, treatment, uh, strategies to support yourself and also for family and friends to support. So it's always my sort of top recommendation of somewhere to go for information. Uh, if you're in the UK, Rethink Mental Illness um, it was also a fantastic charity and resource. And obviously the NHS website has lots of information. And if you are, if you're concerned, if, if uh, you recognize some of the, the symptoms that Bill discussed, then contacting your healthcare provider, seeing your doctor uh, is probably the first, the kind of first step. But yes, there, there is information and there is support um, available. Although, maybe not as much as we would like. Um, I know mental health services uh, already were really, really stretched and and obviously at the moment, um, that's a whole other thing <laughs> that we could get into. Um, maybe we will soon have a sort of talk about mental health services and, and all of that kind of stuff. But today I am also not only the host of the show, uh, but there is an episode out of me being a guest talking about mental health, obviously. Uh, on the We Don't Talk About That podcast with Lucas Land. Um, this was actually the first interview I ever recorded on a podcast as a guest. Um, and it was really talking about mental health and why it can be so difficult to talk about mental health and have those conversations. So I'm looking forward to listening back to it, to seeing how I did as a guest. Um, but I would uh, encourage you to take a listen if, you, if you'd like, if you're interested. So that is the We Don't Talk About That podcast with Lucas Lucas Land. I also have another interview. Again, I always talk about mental health on them because, as you know, that's my jam. Um, another episode on another show that will be out at some point in the future. Uh, and I will obviously tell you about that when it comes out. 
so that is it for today's episode. Please do rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone if you think that they will in, would enjoy all the stuff that we talk about on here. And I will be back on Wednesday when we are joined by the lovely Rachel. So I hope that you have a good couple of days and I will speak to you then. Take care. Bye.